0: You're listening to Recovery, Healing, Outreach and Awareness, a podcast about domestic violence sponsored by Randy's House of Angels. Domestic or intimate partner violence is a complex and silent epidemic that affects millions of people worldwide. To respond to the overwhelming issues associated with domestic violence, Randy's House of Angels has produced a series of podcasts beginning in October that will bring this epidemic to the forefront of public consciousness and break the silence that often shrouds it. I'm Paul Miller, the producer of this program, and we invite you to access the podcasts by going to randyshouseofangels.org. Today's guests are Sierra McGrath and Emily Ott. Sierra McGrath is the coordinator of the Pride and Gender Equity Center at Shippensburg University. The PAGE Center offers a focal point in making the institution a more inclusive, safer, and more equitable environment for all university community members, including LGBTQ students, women, LGBTQ men, and agender students. The center offers, among a multitude of other resources, a commitment to respect and building trusting relationships, a resource for learning and matters relevant to gender-based violence and violence prevention, confidential resource to discuss physical and sexual victimization, and a resource for safe zone and healthy relationships presentation. Emily Yacht is the Public Education Coordinator at Domestic Violence Services of Cumberland and Perry Counties. As the Public Education Coordinator, she is responsible to develop, coordinate, facilitate, and evaluate intimate partner violence education programs provided to staff, volunteers, and other organizations in the community. In addition, Emily provides individual empowerment counseling to survivors of intimate partner violence, assists with support groups, and answers 24-hour crisis hotline calls. Please welcome Sierra McGrath and Emily Yott. Today's podcast facilitator is Sherry Peters, a master's level social worker who is a nationally recognized facilitator in the children's mental health field. Formerly the director of the Psychiatric Residential Treatment Facility Waiver Initiative at Georgetown University's National Technical Assistance Center for Children's Mental Health, Ms. Peters also spent 21 years in the Pennsylvania State Office of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services working on children's mental health policy and program development after working as a therapist in residential and community settings.
1: Welcome back to part two of our session on talking about healthy relationships and how do you know if you're in a healthy relationship or an unhealthy one and what are red flags and green flags and what are relationship kind of things that all of us can be looking for. So I'm uh, happy to welcome back our guests, Emily and Sahara. Thanks
2: for welcoming us back. Yes. So I guess we can just pick up off where the last part, um, in part one, we talked a lot about the power and control wheel in intimate partner violence. We weren't able to cover the whole thing, but we would like to kind of focus on um, some of those red flags and green flags to recognize. Um, And I guess we can just start off with children and how they play a role in intimate partner violence So on the power control wheel, it actually has a section about using children. This plays along with what we were talking about earlier with just guilt. Using children make you feel guilty about children. Using children to relay messages. Threatening to take your children away and that you have no rights to them anymore. Threatening to tell an ex or authorities to take your children and make up lies. And children are just as affected um, as the parent
3: is in these. I'll let you kind of go over the rest. Um, one thing that we're taking a closer look at at our agency, especially when it comes to using children as kind of pawns in these situations, is what happens post-separation. And we find that this is one of the more tricky things for parents in these situations to navigate because it, the abuse doesn't stop and children continue to kind of be used to like against that survivor Um, whether it's carrying those things out through custody court it's just it doesn't stop even after someone leaves especially when it comes to children because they still have to have ongoing contact with that abuser
2: so one of like the green I guess we'll use that term green flag um more of like a positive note to look out for in a relationship is do you and your partner have responsible parenting you're sharing the parental responsibilities, you're a positive and non-violent role model for your child. That is something to look out for versus using your kids as pawns, which they shouldn't be um, within. Like if you and your partner are fighting, your child should never be in the middle of that. And that again goes back to healthy communication and not using a third party to say what you need to say.
3: Yeah, I mean, responsible parenting definitely is important when there's children involved because ultimately... Families, so the the survivor and the children are both going through a grieving process when they're leaving that relationship. For the survivor, they're losing a partner who's – you know, the parent of their ch- children and children are losing that parent in some regard. Maybe it means they're spending, you know, they're splitting their time between households. And the way that those two parents handle that situation is so important for that child's ongoing well being. And just keeping in mind, too, like responsible parenting, even as That gets really tricky when intimate partner violence is happening in the household because we know even if the child themselves is not being physically or sexually abused, they're definitely still being impacted by that abuse that they're witnessing, that they're observing, that they're hearing, or that they're even sensing the tension and the aftermath in the household. So... Just reaching out for resources and getting your kids um, the help that they need, whether you're still in that relationship or out of that relationship. There's definitely a lot of help out there. That's one of the reasons why... Randy's House of Angels is holding a podcast like this um, to let people know that there is hope and help out there. Randy's House of Angels has wonderful children's programs. We've been partnering with them lately at DVSCP. So there's support groups out there. And just making sure you're just keeping an eye on how the situation is impacting your child can be really important.
1: So what are some of the other parts of the wheel, both the power and control wheel and the uh, equality wheel?
3: Yeah, so some of the other ones that we can go through, um, the next one, for instance, would be like using privilege. So treating you like a servant, making all the big decisions, being the one to define the roles or duties in the relationship, using privilege or ability to discredit you, cut off access to resources or use the system against you, knowing what's best for you. So using privilege, sometimes that might be using your gender privilege. Um, It might be using your socioeconomic privilege. It could be using your racial privilege. Mm -hmm. Um, So using privilege can look like a lot of different things, and we definitely see some of that pop up, a lot of that pop up when people are reaching out to us for help and kind of sharing their stories. Even saying things like we see a lot of immigrant survivors um, come to us for help, and privilege is definitely a part of that, especially when For us, it's been a lot of um, U.S. citizens who are male and their partners are not citizens and they're female and kind of using that dynamic against them to say, like, well, you don't understand the culture or customs. You don't understand the laws. No one's going to believe you. I have all the power. If you try to leave me, I'm going to deport you. I recall ice on you, making those threats. That's just like one of the many examples of kind of using privilege that comes to my mind.
2: Yeah, I also think of um, using your social status as well with privilege. Um, And part one, Emily kind of covered if they're well known in the community and they're so liked and respected that sometimes you're afraid to tell someone because what if they don't believe you? Because how could this, the citizen of the community do these awful things. Mm -hmm. And when using privilege, I always think of the power differences. And for this section, I also think of Handmaid's Tale. Mm. If you have not watched it, I very much recommend it because all the relationships in that show are about gender privilege and power privilege and their social economic status. And it can just... It covers a lot and it does a really great job. Mm -hmm. Um, But then when we look at the opposite wheel for equality wheel, we start talking about how a green flag would be shared responsibility. So instead of using your privilege against someone, you're sharing everything. You're mutually agreeing on the fair distribution of work. You're making family decisions together. You're talking like one person might work, both might work. If you have kids, someone might be a stay-at-home person, a stay-at-home parent, and you're making all these decisions together. You're communicating, you're building trust and respect with each other, and no one has any kind of different amount of power. You are both equal in your household.
1: Uh-huh. And and it seems like there's a lot of overlap in some of these things in the mm-hmm. in the power and control wheel, and also in the uh, equality wheel and and so can you say more about the next one Mm in the quality uh, control wheel or the power and control?
3: Yeah sure so the next one that we could talk about in the power and control side if we want to start there is using economic abuse so that's doing things like preventing you from getting or keeping a job, making you ask for money, interfering with work or education, um, taking your credit cards without permission, not letting you work or requiring you, maybe even on the flip side, requiring you to provide that support to them, um, and then keeping your name off joint assets. So, using economic abuse is one of the most difficult barriers, um, I think, for survivors to have to, through no fault of their own, dig themselves out of um, in these situations, especially if they are getting to that point where they're wanting to leave the lack of economic support for survivors can be really detrimental to domestic violence situations. And that's where, as you were describing the privilege stuff, that's really where our laws and some societal things need to change because those things are what really prevents intimate partner violence or sets the stage so that when people are ready to leave, they can actually do so. Um, So economic justice is intimate partner justice.
2: Absolutely and working with students um, I see this a lot with student and parent relationships because some students still have bank accounts under their parents names and they're like oh I can't do that because my parents can see everything that I spend Mm -hmm. and I said they shouldn't be able to see everything that you spend. You should be able to have make your own money decisions or if you do being able to Not be afraid of your parents seeing what you were spending. And that can go over again to the equality wheel with making money decisions together with your partner, making sure both partners benefit from financial agreements. And that kind of talks more about a domestic partnership versus say like a family or friend relationship, but I think it's just as critical to have that with a student and a parent because students come in and they don't know much about money and they're getting their degrees. And sometimes it is helpful for parents to help, but it is not helpful for them to be able to make every financial decision for somebody.
1: Yeah, and great great points. And, and I wonder, can you talk more about, and the reason I'm asking this question is that in future episodes, we're especially going to be talking to survivors who have been able to leave, but they'll be talking about the things that made it difficult to leave and the the things that you've just been talking about, this economic justice piece or Mm -hmm. the economic piece of the wheel, Mm -hmm. I think, as you pointed out, is one of the most important things. So um, you could say more about that or go on to the next part of the wheel.
3: Sure, we can definitely... um I mean, I could talk forever about the economic abuse. Um, i guessing because yes. It's really, really <laughs> tough. And you kind of brought up barriers to leaving. Um, that's definitely an important part of this, you know, session because there are a lot of barriers that yeah. keep people from yeah. feeling like they can leave. Um, and economic, there. are Whether or not they have the money to leave or they have some other supports in place that can help them get to that place where they can leave is the number one predictor for whether or not someone will be able to successfully leave that relationship. Um, And there's also a lot of post-separation abuse that can occur with finances, so ruining that person's credit, sticking them with debt, having to file for bankruptcy, um, especially if things are playing out in in divorce court or Mm -hmm. just the separation of those assets, it could get really ugly and that could leave someone feeling really hopeless.
0: to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, one in 15 children witness intimate partner violence each year, with a staggering 90% of them being eyewitness to this trauma. But there's hope. Randy's House of Angels has been a beacon of support, serving over 250 children since 2012. Join us in making a difference for these young hearts. Learn more at randyshouseofangels.org. Together, we can bring healing to those who need it most.
2: covered that we could talk about economic partnership for so long (laughs) yeah Um, do you want me to read the next one yeah go ahead
3: okay um so the next part that we could talk about is using coercion and threats um so that's things like making and or carrying out threats to do something to harm you threatening to leave or commit suicide we did touch on that one a little bit earlier Driving recklessly to frighten you, we hear that so often on the hotline, um, and it has led to some local wrecks yeah. um, as, and also harming other people in, in, along with that. Threatening others who are important to you, stalking you. One of the big ones, if I could just really quickly oh, yeah. touch on with the using coercion and threats, this is something that I always focus on. I do a lot in local schools here in Cumberland County. And one of the things that I always spend time on in, my, in the classroom is talking about sexual coercion and reproductive coercion. And those things, <laughs> we could go in depth about those. But just in general, it's really important in your relationship if you You feel your partner is always pressuring you to do something sexually that you don't want to do, and again, that typically sounds very manipulative. So saying things like, "Well, if you loved me, you would," again, and I think it's just so important to bring out like how it sounds and like the manipulation that is used with these things because that's when we can kind of start to understand, like, because so many times people have a lot of judgments looking from the outside of these situations of like, "Well, why would you put up with that?" or "Well, why don't you stand up for yourself?" or "Why do you allow that?" and people. need to understand that these situations are really complex. And again, it's typically done and said in a very manipulative way that that person just doesn't know how to react. And ultimately, it's not on that person. It's on the abuser. And that's why I, even in college, I try to do educational
2: sessions about like healthy sex positive relationships because we see so many students being well everyone's doing it well mm-hmm. my body count is this why your body count's so low and making them feel guilty about not sleeping with them and it acting like it's a game mm-hmm. and oh well you need to catch up to your friends um oh well your friend did this to me last week why can't you do it or that person was better than you and it's not even that even is just not even in relationships it's just among your peers which is technically yeah a relationship but we still see it among those who might not be in a romantic relationship, and uh, students then feel guilt and they'll be coming to my office and They feel so bad and they feel so guilty and then they just carry that with them and it really affects their mental health.
3: And on the flip side of that, for a green flag, um, a relationship free of coercion and threats would be more about negotiation and fairness. So it really is important communication. I know it sounds so cheesy sometimes to some people, especially when it comes to like kind of the consent conversation people are like, what do you mean? I have to ask? That would sound so uncool in the moment, um, but it really is important in any relationship for there to be that maturity there that you can have these conversations with your partner. And again, I'm not I'm not saying if your partner gets uncomfortable with these things that oh they're immediately a bad person, but I am saying you have to be able to have these
2: Absolutely. difficult
3: sometimes weird feeling conversations with your partner in order to have a healthy relationship with that person.
2: Nothing to add that. Yeah. Having that consent conversation is important and it's not a cool or a non-cool thing. It's mm-hmm. it's essential to having different relationships because no, mean no, no means no and yes means yes. And that should just be the answer that you give. And then if someone's trying to talk you out of it um, or give you reasons to be like, oh, come on, that's just, Mm -hmm. coercion and it's not fair to you and then they're basically just not treating you with any respect
3: Mm -hmm. and sherry i'll pause and throw it back to you because i'm sure you have more questions for us but i will say the negotiation and fairness at some point i don't know if we're going to talk on boundaries but that's kind of always where i try to take these conversations whether i'm doing a presentation for the community or i'm in a classroom because boundaries is really kind of the essence of creating a healthy relationship
1: yeah i would love for you to go there yes Please.
3: Wonderful. Okay. (laughs) Well, um, again, a lot could be said on boundaries. So sorry if I um, kind of get into a little bit of a tailspin, but basically, boundaries are what keep you comfortable and safe in a relationship. And being able to, one, step one is trying to figure out on your own what are my boundaries? You know, And they may change, but kind of knowing where you stand on things and checking in with yourself is kind of number one. And then also on the flip side, when you're in a relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a romantic relationship, having those conversations of where do you stand with this, it can be as simple as just starting the conversation there and not assuming that because you're okay with something that your partner would be. Like the number one example that I always hear with kids is stuff around phones and technology and I sometimes will throw this scenario out in classrooms of like – and I'll have them kind of go across the classroom of completely uncomfortable in the middle. Maybe you're neutral or not sure or clear over on the completely comfortable side. And I'll throw out a scenario like, well, what if you walked away and came back in the room and you saw your partner scrolling through your phone? Where does your boundary fall on that? And kind of just letting them hash that out for themselves. I'm not necessarily there to tell them right or wrong. And I think that's the kind of the key with boundaries too. Um, is everybody's going to have different boundaries so just having that conversation yeah
2: and like going off boundaries what I usually teach college kids um, is the best way to set your boundaries is to also know what your love language is Mm -hmm. Um, so if you're not familiar with the love languages there's um, words of affirmation acts of service gifts quality time and physical touch um, I could talk about that for a very long time, but knowing which one you fall under can also help put your boundaries in place, specifically if, say, your love language is physical touch, you would like to hold your hand with your partner, have them like kiss you in public, but some people might not want to hold hands with you in public or kiss in public or be lovey-dovey and... All those kinds of things. Um, same thing with gifts. Some people might be uncomfortable getting a gift and putting that boundary in place like, hey, don't get me anything. Um, I just like spending time with you. And it really is important to have that conversation with your partner because sometimes your partner might have a different love language than you do. And being able to talk, communicate, and then figure out, okay, where do we go from here? How can we respect each other's boundaries while also mm-hmm. showing that we still love each other?
3: hmm And boundaries is also a good way to just kind of identify those things in your relationship. You might be coming from different backgrounds. You might have different cultures. You might have um, just different life experiences. So having that just constant check-in with your partner on different topics is a good way to get to know your partner, get to know Mm -hmm. yourself, and just really build that relationship into what you both want to see.
1: So what happens if you are in a relationship, and you want to build a healthy relationship, and yet you're noticing all of these red flags that you've described in the power and control wheel. What what can you do?
3: Well, I guess I can start us off on yep, that go one. Ahead. <laughs> um, that's a really complex question because... I think the easy thing is just to tell people, well, just immediately leave, just get out. Each individual has to make that choice for themselves. I will say, you know, you definitely want to be aware of red flags and kind of think, like, take them seriously and not write them off, as tempting as that is to do for a number of reasons. Um, But you also have to recognize, and I think this is especially important, and I'll just speak from kind of my identity as as a straight female you really have to be careful of those kind of gender norms that kind of come into play with that. Mm -hmm. Because for me, I think women are still very much, it's getting better, but I think women are still very much taught in our society that you need to take care of that person or that you need, you can kind of help them through that, especially if it's coming to like their mental health or something, your partner's mental health. And I'm not saying, you know, it can be healthy to kind of you know help your partner and you are in a partnership but you have to kind of know where that line is and to know that ultimately that other person's mental health or their inability to kind of grow with you whether they're doing that purposefully unconsciously they're just not ready that's not on you and so that's kind of where you have to kind of do that constant check-in of is this relationship healthy is it serving me Mm -hmm. and if it's not then it's probably not going to be healthy if that other person isn't doing that compromising and that negotiation and and fairness piece with you.
2: I really think you covered it there. (laughs) Um, The only thing I have to add is you are still your own independent self. And if you're recognizing these red flags, again, the choice is yours to make. But you can always reach out and talk to your friends, your family. And if you're really unsure, you can reach out to different resources like DVSCP in our area and of course many other local resources but again if you're curious yeah you can reach out to these resources Mm -hmm. do some research Mm -hmm.
3: and they're really good too I wanted to plug at some point um especially if people because I know we're in that day and age too where like calling someone feels really weird (laughs) so just if you're more of a texting person or if you're more like I just kind of want to low-key figure this out myself Mm -hmm. there are a lot of apps there's a lot of websites out there that have a lot of information that you could kind of self-assess like One Love is one of my favorite resources out there they have a lot of quizzes and stuff on their website that you could kind of safely discreetly take to kind of gauge just that like oh I'm seeing these red flags what does that mean?
1: So what are some of the other resources, whether they be national or statewide or local? Mm-hmm. What What are some of the other resources besides the ones you've described?
3: Yeah. So... I would first off say definitely do some Googling and try to stay local. Otherwise, you're going to kind of get into this pattern of people are just going to keep transferring you until you get to your local agency. We see that happen a lot with, like, the National Domestic Violence Services, which is a great resource. And please call them if you don't know where to turn to. They'll eventually get you connected with your local resource. But definitely your local DV centers, your local sexual assault centers, Um, if it's campus-specific, like the PAGE Center for and Did you want to? Yeah, so other
2: college campuses um, usually have, if they don't have a counseling center, which I would hope every college campus does, a lot more colleges are having um, women's centers um, where someone is trained to help with domestic violence in a permanent relationship. Or where I work at Chippensburg, the Pride and Gender Equity Center, where we have those resources just to help as
3: well. Mm -hmm. And there are a few other apps out there. Are You Safe, I believe, is a local one that the... Center in Pittsburgh um, has kind of been in charge of. But just do your homework. I, I try not to say too much on those just because there are risks with that stuff. So if you are curious about using an app, Google, if it's safe to Google, go to a local library so it's not on your browsing history. Um, Unfortunately, we do have to think through those things when it comes to intimate partner violence. Um, But are you safe is one of the ones that comes Mm -hmm. to mind. Usually these apps do have some type of safety features in place. So they're discreet. It's not obvious what you have just downloaded on your phone. But there are still some, like, technological Um, glitches, if you will, like I know for some like on iPhone devices, you can't delete your app purchasing history. I think I got that right. Or maybe it's Android, but it's one of them. So I just say that to say like, if you are going to use an app or something, again, it Mm -hmm. still might be a good idea to call your local center, see if they have recommendations or can kind of think through some of those things with you.
2: Yeah. And going off that, just going in using your incognito mode on your browser. Mm -hmm. um, And there are certain sites like the National Domestic Violence Hotline um, where if you press the escape key three times, Mm -hmm. it will automatically shut it off. um, So that way you have a quick way out. A lot of other websites have been doing that as well, which Mm -hmm. is amazing. So that way, if you are browsing and you feel unsafe, then it is very easy to click off the site and then it will not be in your
1: history. Mm -hmm. So you've given lots of great suggestions for where folks can go if they feel like they need help or they want to learn more. I want to thank you so much, Emily and Sahara, for joining us today. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's an awful lot to think about, and I think our listeners have some things that they can turn to if they want more resources.
2: Awesome. Thank you for having us.
0: Randy's House of Angels is sponsoring a series of podcasts that will serve as a resource to anyone impacted by domestic violence, including parents, guardians, caseworkers, health providers, advocates, teachers, trauma specialists, clinicians, and more, to provide an overview of domestic violence and how to handle situations where domestic violence is present. This is a series of 10 podcasts that will include an overview in healthy relationships, the different types of abuse, supporting someone who is engaged in an unhealthy relationship, and criminal justice resources available to victims. It will also include testimony and stories from courageous survivors who are victims of domestic violence. The podcast will be released starting in October of 2023 and run through February of 2024. If you miss a podcast, it will be made available on demand on Randy's House of Angels website at randyshouseofangels.org. After you've listened to our podcast, we would love to hear from you. Your feedback is crucial for the future of our podcast programs. There is a survey available on our website at randyshouseofangels.org. You can also reference the resources that support the podcast on the website, again, at randyshouseofangels.org. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.